Hello and welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Forrest Hansen. Last week, we continued the strength of courage by talking about how to assert ourselves inside our meaningful relationships. Today, we're concluding that strength and keeping the focus on good communication and skillful relating by exploring how to repair our relationships. When riding a bike, we naturally tip one way or another and need to keep making corrections to continue down the road. It's the same with our relationships. Even at the best of times, they require a natural process of correction to clear up little misunderstandings and ease points of friction. More seriously, you may need to work through conflicts, reestablish trust, or change aspects of a relationship. To help us learn how to do that skillfully, I'm joined today by Dr. Rick Hansen. How are you doing? I'm really good, and I love this topic, repair. It's really central. So to establish some context here, much of this material is informed by your longtime experience as a clinical psychologist. You've done an enormous amount of work with couples. So throughout your career, what have been some of the biggest sources of problems that have emerged inside of those relationships that have then needed to be repaired? One is uh, misunderstandings, broken agreements, Mm. uh, breakdowns. Uh, Let's say children arrive and you kind of survive the first few months and then you start settling into, okay, who's going to do what? And you disagree about who's going to do what. Or it one person, let's say, is just not really willing to, to see what needs to be done. So then it just falls to the other person. So that's one category where there are disagreements or misunderstandings. Another category, I think, is where people have really different styles uh, one person, let's say, is very expressive or effusive. Let's say the other person is more uh, quiet, sort of internal, stoic. And so the person who's really effusive might feel like the other person is like a stone. And while the person who's quieter, let's say more introverted, might feel kind of overwhelmed by the tornado it feels like to be with the other person. So that's the second major category, I think, just differences of styles. And then I think there's um, a very fundamental category in which we want something from the other person that maybe isn't even that expressed or we've kind of hinted at it or maybe used euphemisms, and yet they don't seem to do it for us. And then what do we do? How do we go through a repair process related to feeling hurt, including when those feelings of being hurt stir up? really uh, young feelings stretching back into our childhood of being let down by other people in our past, or if not actively let down, just being with parents, older siblings, other kids, let's say, who just don't seem to receive or be aware of the vulnerable longings inside us. So those are some of the things that I've seen that uh, inevitably need to be repaired And the only question really is, how do we repair? How can we do that skillfully and well? One of the things that I've heard you highlight in the past is the issues that arise when somebody resists repairing in general. Yeah. As you like to say, like if a repair is needed, it's kind of a yellow flag. It's it's a a, something Mm. to deal with, but it's not a large scale issue inside of the relationship. Yeah. But resisted attempts to repair at all are much more of a red flag. It's a signal that it's going to be very, very difficult to form an effective relationship with this person moving forward. And I think that you see that all the time, particularly in couples, where one person, as we've talked about maybe a little bit in the past, 
is always sort of taking the role of the beseecher. Coming to the other person with a variety of different complaints that are brushed aside in various ways. Yeah. With somebody saying, No, I'm just not willing to talk about this right now, or saying, I don't know why we're talking about this at all, and just sort of refusing to meet you on the field of effective communication whatsoever. Yeah. And that's where I think we really get into large scale problems. Yeah, it's interesting, really, that you bring that up for us. You are uh, saying right there, uh, one of these major relationship issues that John Gottman and uh, Julie Gottman, actually, as well, have identified, mm. which is they call it stonewalling. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, stonewalling. Like the other person just goes, nope, don't want to hear it. You can imagine someone putting their hands over their ears and singing, row, row, row the boat. Nope, nope, just not going to repair. Or they actually shame the other person for wanting to repair or needing to repair. And it, in a funny way, it reminds me of uh, physical health. In a sense, illness and injury is an inevitable part of life. We all need to know that mm. that's true. But if there were no healing process available to us, that mm -hmm. would be really, really alarming. And that's kind of like the lack of a healing process in relationships, which means, in other words, a lack of repair. Absolutely. To offer one kind of final point of meta commentary here, yeah. for lack of a better way of putting it, I've always found it just so kind of funny how sometimes communication of this kind, intimate, vulnerable communication, is almost looked down on mm -hmm. by the culture huh. as a way to deflect from the content of the communication where you go to somebody and you say, hey, it really hurt my feelings, how X. Yeah. And the conversation is moved by that person from it really hurt my feelings that you did X to, oh, why are you too sensitive? Why are you talking with me about this? I didn't do anything wrong. Right. It's so ridiculous that you feel like you have to express this. Why don't you just handle your own problems? Yep. And all that stuff, which, which honestly has just kind of struck me as a bleeding through of excessively macho culture mm. about a lot of stuff and about mm. this kind of rugged ideal of individualism where everyone can only solve their own problems without help from anyone else. Mm. And that's just not how effective relationships work in the real world. People who hold that I, those kinds of ideals very rarely form productive, working, intimate relationships with that's other true. people that hold up over the long haul. Mm. Um, it's funny to think about how people use repair as an expression of power. Uh, so on mm. the one hand, you can have people who, uh, to an extreme, will insist that we must process or repair every little thing that, frankly, sure, yeah. could be best repaired by just shrugging a little bit and accepting the fact that this is no utopia. There are challenges in this world. Uh, the mind is imperfectible and so forth. On the other hand, I think there are just exactly like you're saying, there is this tactic that people can use in which essentially they say, my grievance has standing, but your grievance does not count. Your grievance is not a real grievance. My grievance is the grievance that we've got to talk about every single time. And that's a power move. That's a very clever way to disappear another person's needs and not have to respond to them, or even, frankly, acknowledge their existence. And that's why I think paying mm -hmm. attention to repair 
and bids for repair, sometimes bids for repair from, let's say, another person you're with are fairly subtle. It's like a look or a little bit of a wince or maybe they, 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 they say something that expresses a little bit of, an, of a recognition of the gears that have been grinding, the misunderstanding, the misattunement, the lack of empathy, let's say, that occurred. And it's easy to miss sometimes these bids for repair. Uh, and yet, if we miss them, that sends a very high-level, high-priority message about the nature of the relationship altogether. Like, oh, okay, we're just not going to repair. And relationships shrink to the size of the field of repair. So if you mm-hmm. act oblivious to the a repair bid from another person, uh, or you don't express your own desires to repair in some skillful way, uh, that establishes a reduction in the possible field of repair, which then shrinks the relationship. So paying attention uh, to bids for repair and uh, repairing the lack of repair uh, is is a high priority in any significant relationship. Great. So with that as a context for our conversation moving forward, what are some of the ways that we can get more skillful at repairing our relationships with other people? One, I think you, Forrest, are very, very naturally good at, which is check your understanding. Mm. Check your understanding. Uh don't go in guns blazing. Uh, John Gottman, again, a world-class, with John and Julie Gottman together, world-class experts on relationships, uh, they describe this a little bit as what they call a slow startup. Rather than uh, just, as I said, entering into an interaction, highly intense, full of topspin and righteous certainty about what really happened, uh, move in more gently. Just double-check your understanding. Be careful about the intentions you're attributing to other people. There's a, there are a couple of fancy terms in social psychology called appraisals and attributions. And this is a nice mm. way to kind of create a one-word umbrella heading of uh, things that we can be mindful of. First, appraisals. Uh, how do we see things? In other words, what do we think is true? What do we think is not true? And what's the frame of reference or the, uh, that we locate the, all those things in or the perspective we have about them or kind of the meaning we give them? And attributions are a very specific kind of appraisal, in effect, in which we attribute to other people various internal states. Uh, Like, for example, uh, that you did it on purpose, intentions we attribute to other people, or we attribute emotions to them. Uh, You're just saying that because you're angry, or you're just saying that Mm -hmm. because you're selfish, or you're just saying that because you don't care. And Sometimes our attributions are accurate. We we really are reading the other person accurately, uh, for better or for worse. We're seeing what's really the case. But being told, if you're on the receiving end of somebody who's attributing a state of mind to you as if they're the expert on your internal world, that is itself a power move and needs to be handled pretty delicately. So I think being careful about our appraisals and attributions is um, really helpful One reason it's helpful is that if we're not careful, we expose ourselves, and I know what I'm talking about here, we expose ourselves to a fairly humble uh, recognition sometimes that, whoa, we had only a partial understanding, or frankly, we missed something really fundamental altogether. And being more conscious about checking your understanding, you know, can prevent that sort of embarrassing moment where you realize that you just came in way over the top and actually uh, you were wrong on the facts. The other thing is that I think it's useful to track 
is this a simple misunderstanding? Or for example, was there a legitimate ambiguity in what the original understanding was? Or in fact, is this a situation in which the other person fully did get what was what you wanted or what you both had agreed to and just didn't care or didn't care enough to make it happen or at least let you know that there needed to be a change? And that, I think, is really helpful to realize that many, many people have very <laughs> preoccupied minds in our culture. They're dealing with a million things juggling many balls. We're a bit, you know, we're a bit player in the middle of their bad day. And it's not always about mm -hmm. us, right? When something doesn't go well. Then I, I think the last thing I would just say in passing is that sometimes other people just have different values and things that we might take mm. as self-evident that, oh, wow, you over there ought to, I don't know, incredibly care about something. And the truth is, I just don't care that much about it. Like, for example, you might care about that children must wait to the end of the dinner, wait till everyone's done eating, including all the adults, before they can leave the table. And I've known people mm. who, for who that was like a commandment almost. They acquired it, they acquired mm -hmm. it in their childhood. On the other hand, for many other people, they just don't have that rule. It's just not a value. Their value is they don't want kids to, you know, throw food at the table and be annoying. But otherwise, you know, if a little kid is done eating after 10, 15 minutes, fine, go off, run away. The adults are going to talk for the next half hour. No worries. And people might have different values there. So I think double checking also, not just our, our sense of the facts, but our sense of the values to as a great way to uh, make sure that you're on a solid footing before you get into a repair process. What do you think? I think that's all great advice. I These are all things that we've spoken about, mm. at least at some length, I think, in previous yeah. podcasts, uh, particularly the idea of different values, mm. where we had that uh, long conversation a couple of episodes ago about cultural values and cultural norms yeah. and little misunderstandings there, and about how easy it is to take those things personally mm. without mm. dropping into a broader perspective about the other person's experience, which is often completely unrelated to your interpretation of their experience. And I think that that's really normal. Like as a small mm -hmm. example of that, I've had so many instances with people where I thought that I was joking and they thought that I was angry at them. Oh, interesting. You know, I, I think that I'm saying something with like a funny, jovial, amped up tone because I think it's funny and because I'm having a good time. And their experience of it is like, whoa, this guy's coming at me all of a sudden with a lot of intensity mm. because I tend to be a sort of mellow dude. So it's a little unusual when I kind of amp up in that fashion. And they yeah. took it as a as me being mad and their feelings were legitimately hurt by that interaction. And I only learned about it considerably later. You know, I won't necessarily say that that's a common experience, but I don't think it's an uncommon experience. And yeah. I think that just little changes in our understanding like that can make huge differences in how we are interpreted and how we interpret our interactions. Yeah. And to be clear, I would just imagine in your example there, just, just because a difference of values is acknowledged, which mm -hmm. tends to support a certain calm and humility when you're entering yeah. into a repair rather than righteous indignation. That said, people then sometimes negotiate values. They talk through mm -hmm. 
the relevant principles or the relevant values. For sure. Yeah, and they find some way to uh, come to terms with it, potentially. Uh, maybe one person sort of swings the other way. On the other part, comes closer to, let's say, the other person's value system. Or another thing that can sometimes happen is people agree that they'll, in a sense, operate under the heading of person A's values in certain areas. But on the other hand, they'll operate under person B's values in other areas. For example, uh, I guess I'm going to use an example from parenting. Sometimes uh, some people have very high, uh, they have strong values about uh, foods the kids eat and how food is handled, like how mealtimes occur, the nature of meals, how many sweets. While to another person, they're much more laissez-faire about it, laid back about it. Flip the other way, uh, some people have pretty strong values about giving kids room to breathe, plenty of autonomy, letting them make their own mistakes, letting them find their own way, while the other person might have a very different view of parenting, that kids actually should be really pretty well controlled. And so then you work it out. And sometimes what happens is uh, people will say, look, we'll do it your way about food, but let's do it my way related to giving our kids a lot of latitude for emotional self-expression. By the way, that's what we did with you, and you kind of turned out. <laughs> well, I mean, I would say the jury's still out on that one, that's to be true. perfectly honest with you. Really, it's, it's all open for interpretation at this point. So anyways, jokes aside, um, are there any other kind of large umbrella suggestions that you would give moving into a repair with somebody else? Yeah. Second, know that you matter. Know mm. that your needs have standing. So the first thing is check your understanding, be careful. So we have some kind of cautions there. Having said that, hey, don't muzzle yourself. Uh, in a funny way, I would say that for every person I dealt with uh, who had a very large, inappropriate sense of entitlement and would kind of go through their relationships pushing other people around, there were five times as many, if not 10 times as many other people that, in my view, were too obsequious. They were too deferential. They, they felt they were too self-doubting of what they really felt and what they really needed and the standing. And they were, they were too small, in a way, about what they felt they could really legitimately ask for from others. And so statistically, I don't know, as a, as a generalization, I, I think that's actually the, the common issue, feeling that your needs don't matter, that you don't really have standing. So I think this is an important step for people, especially if you have any issue with it. And in particular, there's this funny word about victim that has crept into the culture these days that I kind of want to underline here. I've repeatedly listened to people who say, oh, I just feel so embarrassed. I don't want to come off like some kind of victim. And my, I wince inside because what I know of their life, let's say, is that they were victimized. They were innocently, mm. even virtuously, mm -hmm. following the rules, doing the right thing. They were walking in that crosswalk with a green light, and whammo, something swept into their life that was based on negligence or even malice on the part of others that had big impacts and big consequences. They were zapped. So I don't think there's any dishonor in saying, yeah, I was the victim of a hit-and-run driver. I was the victim of uh, mistreatment, even extreme mistreatment in my childhood, and it's still affecting me today. Or Those are legitimate forms of uh, ways in which you're victimized, and, and your grievance has real standing. So I think it's okay to uh, 
just to be willing to use that word and not feel ashamed about it, that's really different from a person who mm. is getting a lot of mileage out of quote-unquote victim consciousness and wearing their grievances like a badge of honor and being unwilling to, to work through them. But that problem is pretty rare. Uh, it's a much more common problem that people just sort of feel embarrassed about how life has whacked them. And somehow we feel embarrassed about that when actually the shame belongs on the other side. They should be ashamed of themselves. Just because something shameful was done to you, including in childhood, does not mean that you should feel ashamed yourself. You, it does not mean that you should feel tainted or stained or that there's something wrong with you. And if you can speak up to a person about it or name it to others, uh, that's often very healing. And what happened matters, and it's okay, and the impact on you matters. I think a part of that, uh, part of knowing that you matter, mm -hmm. is speaking up and letting other people know mm -hmm. that you matter as well, mm -hmm. and letting other people know about their impact on you. Yeah. One of my favorite lines from the book Resilient is where you write sometimes that we choose harmony over truth, but people who repeatedly value harmony over truth often end up having neither. Yeah. And I think that's a very macro point here that kind of colors this whole conversation about repairing relationships is to initiate a process of repair. You have to communicate how somebody hurt you or how somebody impacted you or how somebody had a negative effect on your experience in whatever way it might be. So when you move from a framework of censoring yourself to a framework of open communication that can feel very vulnerable. Mm. But if you use the skills that you've developed to this point and the skills that you've shared in previous episodes of the podcast, um, wise speech, nonviolent communication, all of the things that we've talked about in previous episodes, mm -hmm. you move yourself into a very firm foundation for expressing how you were hurt, expressing that you matter as an individual, and trying to come to a safe, gentle landing with another person. Mm. That's so well said. Related to that, just like you said about foundation, um, it's this point that we've made a lot previously, which is to reserve the right to yourself, as you judge best, to scale a relationship to its actual foundations in the causes and conditions of, your, of you and the other person and, and your situation in life. In other words, uh, if after you go round and round a few times with another person, you realize they really just don't want to hear it. They, they're not going to correct their behavior or shift based on uh, their impact on you. Then maybe you reserve the right to step back from them and to just reduce the number of times you see each other or reduce the time you spend when you spend together or... Uh, not invest in certain things with each other that implicate you with the other person or create a, an intersection between you and the other person going forward. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that establishes a really good framework for entering into a repair process with somebody. And we've talked pretty extensively in previous episodes about ways to skillfully communicate inside an interaction. So I would mostly refer people back to those episodes mm -hmm. um, if they have any questions around any of those issues. Do you have any final thoughts on this topic of repair? Anything else that you would really like to say here or communicate to people? I think that a repair, a bid, a bid for repair is one of the 
sweetest and most vulnerable and important kinds of communications that humans offer to each other. And implicit in repair is a valuing of the relationship. And I think that's an important thing mm, often to mm-hmm. communicate. Yeah, it really is a way of saying, hey, you matter enough to me. You have, you have impact on me. You affect me. So I'd like to repair. I'd like to uh, help things get better. Also, repair is future-focused, which also implicitly is a valuing of the relationship. Uh, sometimes we look at another person and we just think to ourselves, you know, they're not going to repair. Or the cost of repair is not worth the gain. So I'm not even going to try to repair. I'm not even going to put it on the table. Okay. Sometimes we make that choice, hopefully wisely. But uh, if we do uh, enter into a repair process, it's a way of saying, I hope to have a future relationship with you of some kind. Mm. I value you enough to look into the future to help it be better from now on. And so on that basis, I'd like to repair with you. And I, that's, I think, helpful to say to others. I think that's a really great point. Yeah. And I think that it, it totally makes sense to vocalize that, yeah. as you were saying, to other people, to yeah. make that implicit communication of, I'm doing this because I value our relationship, mm-hmm. explicit. Yeah. And in the process of doing that, I think that we can really frame a conversation so differently and so positively yeah. relative to how somebody might take something as more of an attack on them. Mm-hmm. It moves from that framework to one of value and appreciation and desire to improve things for the future. And I think that that's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. One last little thing, uh, and I'm thinking of a current situation I'm in, actually. If it's useful, I think it can help to start by, that kind of goes back to that John Gottman point about soft startup. It can be helpful to start by acknowledging what doesn't need repair, or in other words, what's going well in the relationship, uh, what you appreciate. Uh, For example, I appreciate that X, Y, and Z. Pause. And I'd like to talk with you, if you will, if you're up for it, about this other thing. So it's locating that which is wrong, if you will, in a larger context of so many things that are right. And uh, also the last thing about that is to frame a repair bid as a request, because that's what it really is. It's based on how I value our relationship and I, and I, I value what we're engaged with here. I request that we talk about this thing uh, from now, so that it gets better from now on, for example. Mm-hmm. That's a kind of more formal way of speaking uh, about all the little points here. In reality, it gets messier, of course, and more informal, but just to highlight that uh, a bid for repair is a request, it's not a demand, and um, it's future-focused, and implicit in it is a valuing of the relationship. Great. I think that's a really wonderful note to end on. Good. So today we spoke about repairing relationships. This is the final episode in the strength of courage, which is really focused on effective communication and improving our relationships altogether. We began the episode by highlighting some of the common issues that come up in relationships and some of the things that you've seen emerge in your many years as a clinical psychologist working with couples that have caused friction inside of a relationship. One of the things that I highlighted is the issue overall of resisting repair altogether. Mm. We then went into some of the ways that we can get more skillful at repairing our relationships. The first point you mentioned was checking your understanding. 
you came back to the idea of appraisals and attributions and how it can actually be kind of humbling to realize how we often have only a partial picture of what's going on. Then knowing that you matter, valuing yourself causes you to care about things inside of the relationship. And as you continue to further your sense of knowing that you matter, it can help move you away from concerns around playing the victim mm. if you've actually been victimized by somebody. Yeah. Then I mentioned speaking up and letting people know their impact on you. The idea of valuing harmony over truth as being something that can be challenging for relationships long term. There are certainly moments to do it. But as you just said towards the end there, when we make a communication to somebody that we want to repair something, we're really highlighting their value to us mm. as a person. So although that communication might initially be disruptive, in a long-term sense, all it emphasizes is that we want to have a relationship with this person moving forward. And I think that that's you know, a really valuable point here, and I would say our primary takeaway for this episode. Mm. So that's it for today's episode on repairing relationships. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd appreciate it if you would leave a rating and subscribe to the podcast through the platform of your choice. It helps other people find it, and we really do appreciate it. So thank you again for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week when we'll begin The Strength of Aspiration with an interview between Rick and a best-selling author. So until then, thanks for listening.